the Wheel of Time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to The Dragon Reread. We're rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. Today we're going to cover chapters 8 through 12 of The Shadow Rising, book 4 of The Wheel of Time. Last time. So previously, Maureen told us all about the evil seeping from the Dark One's shadowy crack. <laughs> Tom and Matt were ensnared by Rain's Dragon D, which means Dragon Destiny. I know that I left it ambiguous, but now everyone knows that's what, they, what I mean when I say Dragon D. Uh-huh. Nynaeve's detective agency and Maureen interrogate some Black Aja, but then they get to the important shit, talking about boys. <laughs> then uh, Rand, Egwene, and Elaine all get together and decide it's time for some, you know, experimentation, you know? Just, how does it feel when I do this? Or, <laughs> what if you and I do this thing together? You know, that kind of thing, you know? Right, normally. That's, <laughs> That's what you do once you've taken over our country. Just do a little experimentation. So, chapter eight, hard heads, with the icon of the dragon. So, there's more Elaine and Rand stuff. So, we've been excusing a lot of the behavior of these people by saying that they're just kids, but it has been brought to our attention on the website facebook.com that not familiar <laughs> i've never been on the what is it that, facebook yeah it's like a book of faces that doesn't make any sense that these people are canonically 20 years old which is much older than i thought i mean like i, I think we discussed we, like our estimation was that Egwene, who's slightly younger would be 14 15 ish where the 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 guys would be 16, yeah, 16 or 17 yeah. yeah i always thought that we had said they were a little older that Egwene was about 16, and Matt and Rand and the lads were about 18. Yeah, e- either way, it's it's getting pretty close to the territory where you expect somebody to not be a blithering idiot all the time. <laughs> I don't know, because I teach college, so I deal with 20, <laughs> between 18 and 22-year-olds regularly, and they're blithering idiots still. <laughs> There's yeah, really mature. Dr. Wise. Sullivan says, you're a blithering <laughs> idiot, students. Give me tenure. Uh, <laughs> They're really, it, I, I don't know in terms of maturity if there's much of a difference between 18 and 20. That's that's, a, that's an interesting point. You know, like, there isn't, like, a magical maturation that happens when you turn 20. So... Especially since they don't have, they don't, like, go off to college. They don't have this major life yeah, change. Yeah, I guess if, from our perspective, you're in, you're, if you're 18, you're in high school, so you're an idiot. And if you're 20, you're in college, so you're theoretically an adult. Though, I, I looking back to what I did when I was, you know, in my <laughs> early years of college, I was still kind of an idiot. I did a lot of dumb stuff, you know. Yeah, it, it does track because in these subsequent chapters, we get a lot of stuff of Rand being a big badass dude, like fully grown, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's also, I, I also imagine it would influence their maturity level, the, the fact that they grew up in a small town surrounded by... People very much like them. They don't. They don't have much of a world perspective in the early. Well, I was. Parts. I was wondering about that too. Because are they going to seem more childlike because they've seen so little of the world, or did they grow up faster and are they expected to mature earlier, like in farming communities where you're married at eighteen and have yeah. a whole passel of kids, and you're middle aged by the time you're thirty? We know Rand and Perrin were both working full time in mm-hmm. the in the town. Probably mm-hmm. Matt. If you count what he does working, what, what was what were what were his parents? Do we ever find out what Matt's family? They're farmers, does? just like Rand's parents. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's technically the same as Rand, a shepherd. But we don't even know if they have school, right? Yeah, they probably don't. Rand talks about learning things from his father's book of or his father's shelf of books. Yeah. Presumably, his their parents teach them to read, and maybe that's about it. Yeah. So I think I guess we've determined that they're either. More immature or extra mature. It's one or the other. <laughs> well, I, I think that we can look at the the, the text to determine yeah. they are not mature. True. <laughs> the question is whether they're whether that is something we can excuse or not based on their age and their yeah. their upbringing. But so speaking of Elaine, who has no excuses for immaturity, comes on to Rand mm. uh, after this this scene where Egwene handed Rand off to Elaine, mm-hmm. uh, and you know. I would actually defend this this particular scene. I thought this was pretty realistic. You know, I, I wrote the same thing. I actually wrote, uh, as awkward as this scene is, I actually find this to be kind of weirdly relatable. Like, I think I've been in this situation. You know, when I was in high school, probably. Like, the first time you kind of like someone and yeah. you're like, you're... you. You know, you're pretty sure that they like you too, but there's this, yeah, this weird gap where you're trying to, like, make that known without... 
without yourself, saying it. Yeah, right? exactly. Without like putting in, yourself in out words, there. you've fallen in love with this person, and but you don't want to just say that because you might get hurt. And when you're bitter old people like we are, you just say it, right? Yeah, say fuck it. You know what? You don't yeah. like me? Fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe a lot like that, kids. <laughs> no. Uh, no, no, it works every time. Trust me. Yeah, but, but these people like, you know, she's like, well, I like you. And he's like, well, I like you too. And she's like, no, I really like you. And he's like, well, I really like you too. <laughs> no, no, I'm very fond of you. Does that mean something different? I don't know if that means something different. <laughs> right. And then she just says like, Kiss me. Yeah. You, know? you want a bone? <laughs> right. She <laughs> Which, takes the leap. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, really, that's that's the closing move, right? To say, you want a bone. Yeah. Want a bone. Right. Not the opener. That's the closer. Yeah. Of, the like, the, the three-minute conversation. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, if a girl started with that, and you were in your teens or 20 or whatever, would you have objected? Would that have been a deal breaker? It, n- no. No. <laughs> I mean, it would be like, do you want to like, do you think we can fit in this locker? <laughs> but here and now, because the answer is yes, either way. I'm just curious if, if I should get going. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. But anyway, so that felt kind of realistic, you know. Yeah, I, I given, agree. Given what I consider unrealistic, that these people have fallen in love with each other in, under these conditions, mm-hmm. this kind of scene, like where they sort of work it out, is like the most well-adjusted love scene so far. Yeah. Though I do want to point out that when Elaine initially asks if she if he will kiss her, his response is like, but we're not betrothed. And it's like, really, dude? It's a kiss. I mean, he, he makes up for it eventually. But it, that his first reaction is, I don't know if I can kiss you if we're not going to get married. So this is not an Emmons Field thing. Because Matt is plowing his way through this whole thing. <laughs> you know? As we learned previously, like he's got like four or five like ladies on the burner. Yeah. Young, old... Yeah, working class, like, fancy ladies. If they smile back at him. He's on it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well done. So, I mean, maybe Rand is just really uh, oblivious to the way, or naive, and he thinks that like that's how babies get started when you kiss someone. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> I don't want to kiss you. We don't have time to have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be going mad in a couple of years. Do you want to raise a child alone? <laughs> I can't be a daddy. Mommy, only mummies and daddies get to kiss. <laughs> Maybe okay. Tam never taught him the ways of the world. <laughs> but I'm not going to pee in your butt. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Look, he works at a sheep farm. Presumably he saw some yeah, sheep. He must know. Yeah. He must know the mechanics of it. <laughs> <clears throat> so Rand does like a, like a pretty baller move. He just like, she's like... What you're not gonna kiss? He just like gets her like it's like a solid passionate kiss. Right. And as soon like, as he sees the green light, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know that's good. You should always wait for the green light before. That's you good. And he's, he's nice and tall. You know, you can do the good kiss down thing. Yeah, that's right. But uh, he also uh, he also what is he? He says something like, "You and Gwen didn't uh, plan this, right?" Gwen <laughs> like to- totally gaslights him. She's like, "Nah, man, that's really." That's that's fucked up that you would ask right. that. Yep, the foundation of every good relationship is lies. <laughs> yeah, Elaine, she's being deliberately manipulative of Rand here at this point, and she mm-hmm. thinks about it. She thinks in her head like she never thought she would stalk a man like a huntress stalking a wild boar. Is that what she's doing here? <laughs> I mean, I guess she's uh, she's she certainly seems to be scheming a lot throughout I, this. I think she feels like she has to compete with Barrelane, which she doesn't. Because Barrelane is, you know, scared out of her wits now. But I guess she doesn't know that, right? Yeah. So yeah, they kiss. It's a pretty good kiss, you know. Give it four out of five. What kisses. do you think about the scene where he tries to make a flower for her with the feathers from his destroyed bed, but he tries to embrace Sidon and fails, so he's got like performance pressure. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was kind of sweet, and she and like she. She gets it, right? She's like, you know, this is something he really wanted to do for me. This is he was trying to be sweet, and mm-hmm. and that that means something to her. So she actually wants to keep the feathers. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was a little uh, not what's the word creepy, unsettling. You know, because he's doing this thing which is you know wrong, right? This evil thing. Mm-hmm. But he's trying to be sweet, and also it doesn't work. And they're standing in the wreckage of the room that he he trashed with his madness like five <laughs> minutes earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, ke- I kept a cringe counter. Mm. Uh, 16. 16 cringes? Yeah, 16 cringes. It just in this little section? Uh, yeah, they're a whole little thing. Oh, no. I, I had a lot of trouble reading this chapter because it was so painfully cringy. Oh, yeah. 
But again, for me, I found it relatable. Yeah. Probably because I've been in a lot of awkward romantic situations in my life. <laughs> yeah, awkward. Not necessarily unrealistic, but yeah, true. definitely awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, then uh, she rewards him for being honest by taking away the pain that she caused to him. Yeah. Yeah, they must have got him really hard. Like you were saying in the last episode. He still had. He was still limping from whatever they did to his butt. Yeah, <laughs> because he pinched someone, so they decided to like cripple him for the for yeah for a week. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yeah. Then they uh, they cut to Elaine leaves, and they cut to uh, a scene where Rand is laying down the law for the Terran lords. Actually, I want to say something because this actually bothers me a little bit. So why does Elaine leave here? Like. She, I mean, I, I think it, from a writing perspective, she leaves because she's like, this is a romantic scene, and they're saying this is a clear cut from the romantic scene to, like, the business scene. Mm-hmm. But Elaine is a character who has a lifetime of training in statecraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She would be immensely valuable in this in this conversation about taxes that yeah, they're and, about to and have. And they get into that a little, a little later on, that she's basically tutoring Rand. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm glad that they, they came back to that later, because it bugs me a little bit that they're like, okay, we're, we're done making out, so skedaddle, when... She would probably be better, be better at the conversation they're about to have than he would, you know. At, at a, on, on like a agree on a practical level, you know. There's there is the level though that he is the sovereign and he, he can't. She's like she could be interpreted as the representative of Andor, and he can't be seen to be subservient to Andor mm-hmm. in that's front of these point. guys. That yeah. is good they don't get into that at all. But that's something that I would worry about. And Elaine might think of that as just like diplomatically mm-hmm. because of her role. She mm-hmm. can't be in this room. I would have liked if she had said something like that or even thought something like that as she was leaving because to me it felt like they were kind of dismissing her character despite the fact that like she has skills that would be directly applicable here right Mm -hmm. skills that would make her a a relevant character in this narrative for the first time i know yeah and he needs and he needs somebody like that too um you can tell that he does not really have a whole lot of a clue of what he's doing because he's talking about how the taxes on farmers are too high which is great you know like that's Mm -hmm. a good thing to think we need to make we need to give these people relief but the way he fixes that is he says you're going to cut taxes on farmers by three quarters and on everyone else by half don't argue just do it Mm -hmm. and that seems like not a lot of nuance going into that statesmanship there somebody in this country right in this governmental apparatus is setting these tax numbers based on some kind of information, right? Mm-hmm. They probably are setting the tax numbers to the highest number that they can pull in, but somebody knows what the minimum number they can pull in and still you know, pay all of their costs mm-hmm. are. And it's unclear whether he's he has any knowledge of that at all. Yeah, yeah. He, it, it feels a lot like he's making these arbitrary like declarations, and it could very well be that he walks away and like their government collapses because they don't have enough to pay the, the fucking like clerks or something, you know? Yeah. Because like a three-quarter redu- reduction is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what he's doing is governing like a populist. Yeah. Yes. You know, he's, he's like uh, Hugo Chavez, you know, which in terms of good governance is a really bad thing to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it made Chavez really, really popular. And I don't know if that's Rand's goal or if he's just, you know, a hayseed who, who empathizes with the farmers. Yeah, and, and, you know, I guess in terms of, like, his ultimate aims, whether it's intentional or not, he probably is going to benefit a lot from having the farmers behind him, you know, like having, having the populace support him is probably like helpful in his long-term aims. I would really love it if Elaine started to have a larger role here. Cause I feel like she really is needed. He is in this dictatorial position, but he, I, at the end of the day, he's still just a farm boy. He yeah. can channel, but that doesn't mean that brings knowledge mm-hmm. with it. He has the presence and she, I think they talk about that a little bit. That he has this, this like commanding presence, but he doesn't actually know anything about running a country or, 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 or ruling, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. this three days uh, learning statesmanship slash making out montage we get kind of where he learns some stuff Yeah. before Elaine has to go away. Yeah. Oh. And in this meeting that we get with him and the Terran High Lords, he spends the whole time thinking about Elaine. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's kind of funny, actually. You know, they're like, but, you know, we need this tax revenue to fund our lordly stuff. And he's like, mm, I wonder what she meant when she kissed me. <laughs> I'm glad they did that, though, because that happens. There's been scenes where that's happened with the women, where they're thinking about something that happened with a dude and not paying attention to what's going on. And that yeah. always irritated me. So I'm glad we're seeing the flip side of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also want to point out that they're having this meeting in this 
room that he just destroyed. So yeah. they walk in and they have this like this this meeting that they don't particularly care for, and they're surrounded by like the burnt, charred remains of things he set on fire. Yeah, I guess that exploded that crazy reflection fight happened this morning, right? It just happened. Did it? Because yeah, that happened. I guess it's been a day. Yeah, and then Egwene and Elaine went to see him, and then this meeting happened. Yeah. And so he's gone through two mattresses in one day. <laughs> um, yeah, Would have been three if he hadn't kicked out Berlaine. <laughs> That's a good That's point. Was, I mean, when it's the daughter heir of Andor, you swap out the mattresses. <laughs> <laughs> At least change the sheets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a classy move. But, uh, so yeah, he uses, like, Emmons Field economics to reorganize the economy of Tyr in this meeting. He says, you know, well... When things when times are hard in Emmons Field, things are okay in Terran Ferry, and we all kind of support each other, right? That's how the economy works. This yeah, doesn't work at a macro scale. Yeah, no way. But but I I I suspect that from Jordan's perspective, this is like the right thing. Like like he has this this theme. You, we've discussed it before, where the people who are running things aren't necessarily like the best people to run things. And I I, I suspect Jordan would say that. A farmer is just what they need to come in and like fix the the problems with their government, you know. Yeah i I would love it if there was a scene where somebody, some bureaucrat, sat down with him and said, "Like we we tax this amount of money. This is how much it costs to upkeep the army, and we have to upkeep the army, otherwise Ilian will invade because Ilian hates us. Yep. And this is how much money it costs to ship the grain barges to Kyrian." And so we get this much income from Kyrian, but this much of it goes to the to the the shipment. And actually runs the numbers for him and says, like, this is where the numbers are coming for from. So if you cut the taxes on the farmers, that money is going to have to come from somewhere else or we're going to have to cut some of these government services. But we never get to that point. I, yeah. I don't think Robert Jordan has any interest in writing that scene. Yeah, I, I think you're I, I don't I'm not sure he, it even occurs to him, honestly, the way that he the way that he describes this stuff. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I don't think. Again, I don't think he thinks Rand is doing the wrong thing here. Yeah. I think that he thinks Rand is right. How, I, I, I do want to that this economy is unfair to the farmers just because it's run by these evil lord types. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and to be fair, looking at the way that the high lords live, uh, there is clearly some fat to be trimmed. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know. Yeah. The, I, I don't know. I don't know what that number is. And I don't think Rand does either. But, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's what he would base it on. But he finally ends the meeting by just ordering them to do what he wants. Yeah. They ra- but they they raise a bunch of objections that I think are BS. These guys are, like, completely selfish. They don't get on board with what Rand wants to do. They don't even understand why he would care about the farmers in the first place. Which isn't that big a leap of logic, you know? This guy was a farmer a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like they're just stupid. I, I think this is really, like, Robert Jordan hating on elites here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's something we've seen represented at nearly every occasion of there being royalty or or lordship, they're all they all seem to be kind of trash. Yeah, with the exception of the Andoran ro- yeah. royalty for some reason. <laughs> Most of the Andorans. Yeah. So we cut to Egwene and Matt having a chat, and this is where we learn a little bit about Matt having the eye of every woman they pass. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, like there's one woman's like, man, she's she's ten years older than Nynaeve, which uh, we'll, we'll say that you know that's like mid mid thirties, mm-hmm. early forties maybe. So you know, Matt's been doing some some cougar hunting. <laughs> you know, older ladies need love too. Like, good for him, right? That's yeah, cool. that's awesome. Yeah, he's just passing through. Uh, but oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but what happens is uh, Matt is stressing out because he's just stressing out. He doesn't want to be here, but he can't leave. So Egwene, to cheer him up, I guess, tells him about the magic doorway, which. Seems like a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Come on, Egwene. You could just see where this is going from day one. Yeah, Yeah, Matt's looking for advice, and Egwene's like, "Well, there is this magic doorway with it'll answer all your questions, but you really shouldn't do it, (laughs) Matt. But it's it's really, really dangerous. It's dangerous. And Matt, I know that you like would never do anything dangerous ever. So (laughs) he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I promise. (laughs) I swear, I'm never gonna go into this twisted doorway that's gonna answer my questions. (laughs) So there you have it. You know, everything's fine. So that's a." That's, I think, a pretty funny conversation. Yeah, there's, we know where that's going. Yeah. <clears throat> so, chapter nine. Decisions. The icon of the moon and stars. Which is Lanfear, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. So, this is an interesting thing. He he varies his uh, chapter structure here. Robert Jordan does. Uh, normally, it's one POV for, per chapter. Mm-hmm. And normally, they cut between POVs with those little text breaks. Yeah. Uh, but here, he actually get, does some sort of a bird's eye view of what everybody's doing over this period of three days. Yeah, it's... it's it's. I don't think we've seen a chapter like this ever up until yeah. now, right? Um, it's just like... 
it's like, and it's not exactly a bird's eye view. The perspective shifts between the characters too. Like we do get some like internal some some thoughts or some like yeah some stuff that only that character would know from each character, which is interesting. That's cool. I mean, it's it breaks some of the literary rules that he set for himself, but it's nice to to be surprised and get a mix up this far into the series. Yeah. So it's a grab bag. Uh, and Matt is sitting around wondering whether or not to use the stone doorway that he's been warned not to use. <laughs> and, he's, but... <laughs> and he's dangerously bored because no one wants to play with him anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. And Perrin is, is hanging out in the taverns looking for a rumor to tell Fael to lure her away. This is like a super lame attempt. I don't know why he thinks this would ever work. Yeah, right? Very bad. Yeah. Uh, Egwene and Nynaeve are questioning the Black Ajas more. Which why, well, Nynaeve is... Learning to cook for Lan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, I was like, really? Come yeah. on. I thought they I thought they worked their stuff out, you know? He was like, thanks, but no thanks. But here's my ring. If you ever need my help, I'll come running. <laughs> and then she says something about how men never come in time or something like that. <laughs> never when you really need them. But, and so, yeah. And, but now she's wearing dresses of his color and she is like trying to woo him. I don't even know if this is the Emmonsfield way of wooing him or if this is the crazy Nynaeve way. <laughs> I, it, it is super unclear. I mean, you know, Egwene did tell us a little bit about the way that you would, like, woo a man in Emmonsfield giving him a bodice that you sewed or something like a that. Sh- I think it was a shirt. Shirt, sure, yeah. <laughs> look, Cross-dress for me. Bodices look good on any gender, I'm just saying. You know, it's like, it's very, it's like very shaping. Yeah, but, you know, that's what she's doing, so... Yep. For some reason. And uh, Avienda and Egwene are friends na- now. And they get naked together. Do they they do. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's this there's a scene where That's she's taking a bath and Avienda's like, Oh, I'm gonna take off my clothes too, so you don't feel uncomfortable. Yep. And then they like touch each other a little bit and <laughs> there's some light kissing. Little. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just some friendship kissing. <laughs> right. In the idle waist, this doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just spear sisters now. <laughs> <laughs> and Avienda in particular suggests killing Berylane in a knife fight. Which because Berylaine, they think, is a competitor with Elaine for Rand's attention. Berylaine so. has done nothing wrong, and they're hating on her and, so hard. I and, feel kind of bad Avienda's for like, her. yeah, just challenge her to a knife fight. Like normally, you challenge her to a fist fight, but uh, like, what did you say? She's the kind of woman who would take a beating and not not turn away. <laughs> right? Or yeah. Like that. So just kill her. <laughs> <laughs> so just kill her. Problem solved. Oh man. Things are different in the Isle ways. I'm glad that they did not take that advice. It seems like that would have been a little extreme. But they do kind of explain what's going on with Torian and Berylane. Oh, yeah. This in is the creepy. next In the next scene. Because Rand is having another scene where he has to threaten the High Lords to get him to do what they want. Yeah. And Torian wants to bone Berylane. That's what's going on with them. Yeah. And we, so they, we, Rand is forcing them to do a treaty with Mayenne, of which Berylane is the leader. Right. And they keep trying to twist the treaty in like a way that gives... Torian power over Mayan or over Berylane. Right. So this he can is really use it creepy. To, yeah, this this I I remember when we first met this guy, he was he was kind of a the way they described him is kind of like unflattering and I guess it was supposed to indicate his unflattering appearances that he's not just he's like a yeah. kind of a horrible he's person. A creep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've seen a couple of ex- like on the periphery a couple of exchanges between he and Berylane and apparently this is this is what he's going for. Mhm. But uh, Rand is getting a little on the tyrannical side. I believe he says, if you don't fix this, I'm going to have you hanged. Yeah. I think they just won't do what he says. Yeah, he's frustrated. And all of the Terrans don't seem to understand that they are now a subject people. Yeah. To Rand and the Aiel. Because maybe because it happened so fast, you know, there there wasn't some protracted war where they could come to grips with it. Yeah. But this is, it seems like he's driven to this, you know, it's been three days of this, right? Yeah. I just, I just wonder if, if he were being a better statesman, if he would have to do so much like threatening. Yeah, it's possible that he could figure out where they're coming from. Well, we know where they're coming from, but he needs to like show them where he's going. With I don't it. think he knows where they're coming from. Yeah, I suppose not. I don't think he gets it at all. Yeah. But historically speaking, he should be killing these people right away. There's no situation in which these people become useful to him. No, that's, that's a good he, he point. He should find some backbencher lords that aren't in power and say, you guys are my guys now, and kill everybody else. I don't think that would occur to him. Yeah, it wouldn't. No, yeah, he, yeah he's, 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 not, uh, he's not a murderer. Pretty, pretty explicitly, he says, like, I don't want to kill people. Yeah. And I think that it bothers him that he even suggested that he'd kill him. I think he right. says something like, uh, what have I become? But, but I think you're right. I think from a, from a historical perspective and from a... A strategic perspective, 
these people will never uh, be fully like his his supporters, and more likely they're going to try and poison him or or, or yeah, as soon as they're not scared of him yeah. anymore. I was going to say, is that the only thing that's keeping them from revolting is their fear of his ability to channel? That's is it. Is that it? Yeah. I that's suspect that's so. all? Yeah. And as these days go by and they, they, the fear is wearing off and they're starting to intrigue against him and they start thinking like, maybe we can just kill this guy. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no way, there's no way for him to like, to reorganize this power base without killing these people mm-hmm. yep. because they have an entrenched interest in things being the way they are. Like this thing with the taxes, he's cutting their income, right? He's basically making them not lords anymore because they don't have this massive free income. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's no way they'll ever get on board with that. They have to die. But yeah, he didn't get it. And I don't know if Robert Jordan gets it or not. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do, uh, and, you, and you've already mentioned this, Jeff, but in this chapter is where we learn that Elaine's kind of giving him statecraft classes. Yeah, like, which is really good. Yeah, right? tutoring him. I, I, I'm glad that, did, that Robert Jordan wrote that in, and I think it's... I think it makes sense, you know, because mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. And Elaine is like a perfect resource for this. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. He's like really listening to her, which is great. Right. Yeah. And there isn't even the scene that I would have expected where he's like, well, what do you know? You know, I'm, I'm the guy who's in charge. And he immediately listens to her. He's like, yeah, great. You know exactly what I need to know. He even uh, wants to give her credit. And she says, no, don't do that. It's better if they don't know how little you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same with Tom. Tom is playing the game for him and telling him things that he's not. He wouldn't know otherwise. That's right. Yeah, we saw hints of that previously, but now we're seeing the the actual results. So this this might be a theme, right? That Rand is like he's a genuinely good dude. So mm-hmm. these people that he's met are helping him. Yeah. Now that he's in this position, it feels like his paranoia has eased a little bit too. Yeah, yeah. He was real crazy in the Dragon Reborn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I remember there was some 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 moments when we weren't entirely sure <laughs> yeah. he was killing bad guys. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Some questionable scenes. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's a merchant lady. Oh, kill her immediately. Cut her head off. It's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> so after the High Lords leave this time, Celine shows up. Everybody's favorite Celine. He they... still doesn't realize she's evil after all that's happened so far. He's like, oh, hey, why are you, why aren't you, I, I was worried you were going to be in trouble because this Kyrian revolt thing. You should stay here with us. <laughs> I know. She, even right now when she's all like, you were always mine, Luz Theron. He's like, why are you calling me that? My name is Rand. <laughs> and he tries to let her down easy, too. Celine, he said gently, we had pleasant days together and hard days. I'll never forget your courage or your help, but there is never more between us than companionship. Oh, <laughs> he's just trying to be, yeah, he's he's trying trying to guy be a Rand. good guy. Yeah. And then she's all like, you know, Celine is not my name. My name is Lanfear. And he's like, that's not a very good joke. Yeah. <laughs> You're not being very funny. You know that's a Forsaken, right? And she's like, we don't call ourselves Forsaken. We call ourselves the Chosen of the Dark One. Yeah. He's like, maybe she really thinks that she is Lanfear. <laughs> I love it. I love him. I, I, it, it first annoyed me how slow he was to pick up on this, but now it's really funny. It is yeah. pretty funny. Because I think she's even getting a little frustrated. Yeah. You're like, no, seriously, dude. I'm a, I'm a fucking, like, evil wizard. <laughs> Look, I can do evil wizard things. Yeah, they have a little a little minor evil wizard fight. She, she changes her face. Like, hey. Yeah, to yeah. reveal her actual face. Which is... Which is even, even more beautiful. <laughs> A lush blossom in full flower compared to a bud. Riper. <laughs> yeah. Riper. I think that's. I, I think it's cool that you know he yeah. acknowledges that like once she's attained full womanhood, she's even prettier. Yeah, know? she's still rocking it, keeping it tight at three thousand. <laughs> that takes a lot of work, you know. You gotta yeah. hit the gym like at least once a day. And she's able to uh, prevent him from channeling to cut him off from the source. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that and she she does like a hard sell on him. She's like, "Look, you know, just kneel to the great lord just once, and he'll let you do whatever you want." Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty great. But she has to go find him in Shiogul in the pit of doom. I don't remember if we'd ever heard that before. The pit of doom. <laughs> well, it's in the mountain of doom. Yeah, it's mountain yeah, of doom, but... Mount doom with an H. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, it's not the word doom. That's just a weird. Concept. Right. No, but this yeah. is the pit of doom with no H. D-O-O-M. Right. Common misconception. Oh, yeah, yeah. of Doom is not related to Mountain Doom. <laughs> right, right. Mountain Doom with an H is, you know. <laughs> it's probably. At Mount, Pit of Doom is almost certainly in Mount Doom, right? Because <laughs> they're spelled differently. Isn't Shao yeah. Gul? Is that Mount Doom or is that... I forgot. I thought Shao Gul was just an area. Is Shao Gul in the, in the Barrens or the... What's it, the, the, the Waste. Hang the on. Waste? Let's look here. I've forgotten. The Blasted Lands. Yes. Shao Gul is 
in the okay, so we have the the blight and the and the blasted lands are both to the north, and Chavabol is kind of right in the middle of the very far northern extreme. Yeah, north of the mountains of doom. So it doesn't appear to be H. in the mountains of doom with an H. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, so it's not Mount Doom. It's the mountains of doom. Right. Yes. Mount Doom is for the other fantasy book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think it's in Zelda. Probably. No, that's Death Mountain. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> Death Mountain, Mountains of Doom, Doom Mountain. Yeah, her, her pitch actually is pretty, a little convincing, I think. I probably, like, you know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm obviously not, like, you know, Rand level of good guy. I'd probably go for this. Yeah, she says <laughs> yeah, she wants to convert him, and then they'll they'll get another Forsaken to teach him how to man-channel. and Mantle. Then, <laughs> Mantle. <laughs> To mantle. And then... They'll rule together, and then they'll kill all the Forsaken, because she knows he doesn't like Forsakens. And then they'll overthrow the Dark One and the Creator forever. I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah then right? you're going to do all whatever right. you want, right? It's not that bad. You don't you know? have to be evil at that point, once you kill the Dark Lord, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, he says no, because he's really, really righteous. He's just, like, lawful good to the, to the to a fault. But this is this may be the first time we've seen someone be really seriously religious, Towards the Dark One. Yeah. She, they, they when she talks one, about the Dark One, her, her face, like, fills with ecstasy. Yeah. She, she, she's a, like a, she's a true believer. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because we've seen her have open conflicts with, um, well, now we know it was Ishmael or whatever. Yeah. The, 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 the first one, the first chosen, I guess. So she's loyal only to the Dark One, but. You know. Right. But the Dark One likes his pets to fight. Yeah, that's true. It's like Cobra Kai. Yeah. But in the middle of this, uh, after Rand rejects her in every way, first rejects her as a woman and then rejects her as a business <laughs> partner. Can we, can we talk about a little bit about Big D Dragon? Oh, yeah. There was a weird sentence there when, when he's looking. When they 180. Re- yeah, 180, when they retell the prophecies, the twice and twice he shall be marked. Mm. If you, it says... Um, if the herons named him true, what need for big D dragons? For that matter, what was a dragon? Um, perhaps the figure on the banner was a big D dragon. Not even I said I seem to know what that creature was. So I'm confused. So, okay. Oh, wait, wait. It's a little distracting to me that you keep calling them big D dragons. <laughs> well, no, because there's a like difference. A, I know. It's, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this is, is going to come across as something totally different. Yes. But, the big D dragon. Yeah, this dragon has a big D. Yeah. yeah. That's my band name, actually, by the way. Big D, big D dragon. Big D dragon. That's nice. actually a pretty good band name. Uh, but no, no. Th- so this is this is something that they've referenced previously. When they first find this banner, yeah, there is no dragon. There is no creature called a dragon in their mythology, in their culture. So when they hear the term dragon, that literally only means to them loose things. A dude who can channel. Right. Well, this one particular dude who can channel who, yeah. who went crazy. Like, the, he was the dragon, quote unquote. Yeah, but where did sure. his name come from? So that he was thousands of years old. There might have actually been cultural references to dragons back then. They had the banner. Well, the thing is, yeah, they've got the so banner. You don't think dragons were real in this world? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either, because later on, we're going to, very shortly, we're going to find out that they see, Egwin, I think it is, sees skeletons of creatures that used to be and no longer are. Oh, so yeah. maybe... There, Robert Jordan is saying that at some period in time, in, in, in earlier Age of Legends, there were dragons. Because right. we have, like, if, if if we're borrowing that this is Earth or, you know, there's these different mythologies that are happening there. You did have, like, Arthur, King Arthur, so there could have been dragons in another time. So in the middle of this... Uh, oh, wait. So, so, so she also... Wait, sorry, just a quick thing. She also mentions uh, something that we've heard hinted at before. She talks about Kalendor, and she says there are also... Two other Angreal that are even more powerful than Kalendor. So this is yeah. We've heard kind of like murmurings of this, but but nothing nothing you know, solid. But she's saying, oh, we could use these things to like really fuck shit up, you know? Yeah. Well, to really make things better. I yeah. Think right. Is what right. She's saying same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's Lanfear. What's she gonna? Right. In the middle of this conversation, though, a gray man attacks, but it apparently was not sent by Lanfear. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And I, I believe her, too. She's like, I don't want to kill you. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I want to I want to seduce you yeah. over to the dark side. But uh, Rand is immune to gray men, I guess, because he's so perceptive and kills him with a sword. He almost doesn't see him, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very he, close. he did the cool thing that I, I liked in The Great Hunt, I think it was, where they're, you know, he's looking across the room and, and just looking at things and 
and Robert Jordan mentions the guy with the knife, but Rand doesn't notice him. Yeah. I think that's really cool. It's like his eyes are, like, glancing past it. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a guy with a knife, and there's, oh, there's other thing. Over there. Oh, wait, there's a guy with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> wait, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. And then after they're, they have a little bit of a thing where they, like, shield each other, and I think he manages to shield her, but then he decides not to kill her, specifically because she's a woman. Yeah. yeah. Saved by misogyny. <laughs> right? Because, because... Let, let, let's be clear here. He should absolutely kill her. 100%. Like, right, right yeah. now, if he... There's no ambiguity with her. He, he had an opportunity that if he had done that, he probably could have, like... Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, he's killed he killed the Chosen, whatever, the the, the, the Forsaken before. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily, like, ending the, the fight or anything. But it seems like killing one of these people is 100% like a... a, a Net gain, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe he should have done it, but I'm glad he didn't. I like having Landfair around. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I am. It's interesting. It's intriguing, the idea of having a Forsaken who's actually on his side. I mean, I know she's trying to manipulate him for her own purposes, but it's nice to not just have a Forsaken who wants to immediately destroy him. She, I'm curious to see where this is going to go. She explicitly says, I, I, I could force you to join me, but I want you to want me. You know, like it's it's an interesting interesting thing. Are you saying she needs him to need her? Yeah. She wants him to want her. She needs him to need her. Yeah. She would love if he loved her. Yeah. She's begging him to beg her. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I didn't I didn't, I, didn't I, I see you crying. crying. <laughs> see? That's our new theme song. <laughs> but it makes you really sad, though, because we go to chapter 10, The Stone Stands. The Stone Stands. Oh, um, yeah, man. This is... Icon of the Dragon. This is quickly becoming nightmarish. Yeah, yeah so, this is a rough chapter. It is. Yeah, so there's there's battle in the Stone of Tear. It's full of Trollocs and Myrdral, and they're fighting the Defenders, and they're fighting the Aiel. All of Rand's guards are dead. Yeah. 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 How many? about the Aiel. How many Greymen does it take to kill half a dozen Aiel? Three. Three, apparently. Yeah, yeah. we found out. And there they all had at least two spears in them. Yeah. So, so I guess Greymen are easy. I mean, how would that work if they had, a group of them attacked you? Would you just start seeing your friends dying? And still not notice them? There are, I, there seem to be limits to their ability to not be seen. Like, I, I, I think that we've seen that once somebody, once somebody engages with them, it's it's hard to look at them, but you can still kind of see them. I, I think a couple times when they've attacked, uh, you know, Perrin has smelled them or, or Rand has seen them. And then at that point, everyone's like, oh, there he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and all the defenders are... They've been killed by Trollocs, and there's a mirror draw, and Rand immediately leaps out in, in badass hero mode with his sword of flame and duels the mirror draw and sells the other guys. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he leaps out and slips out a pool of blood. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. He leaps into action and almost almost eats it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then he does a lot better. Right, yeah. And it tells the other guys, you know, don't fight the Miradol. He's mine. He is being a leader here, though. Yeah, this, is, this is real leadership. Yeah, he's yep. taking over and he's yelling, rally to the stone. The stone stands and people are picking that up. So mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, they're all demoralized because, you know, creatures out of... The horror stories are attacking them. We yeah. haven't seen Trollocs and Mirror in a while, right? Yeah, I I wrote it down. I missed them. Yeah, me Aww. too. I like Trollocs. These these are the, these these are some fun fight scenes when when Rand's dealing with these things. Like yeah, this is for good action. This whole thing is like a it's uh, I don't know what's the word. We're a bunch of different little scenes all put vignettes. together. Vignettes. Uh, yeah, a bunch of little vignettes of this battle. I, I think, you know, as we've always said, Robert Jordan writes really good battle scenes. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's sort of chaotic. You know, Rand is leading, he, he finishes off these local Trollocs and Mirador and leads this group of guys to go find more to kill. Mm-hmm. And he loses some of those guys and some new people join him. And eventually he has none of the original guys following him. And he sees some Trollocs and Mirador fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. What's going on there? It's like, I think multiple Forsaken are going on here. That's, I think, I think And they're right. fighting each other because that's what the Forsaken does because that's the ultimate uh, defeat of the Dark. But then a Trolloc saves him. Yeah. Like and that's Lanfear, I think. Yeah, I, probably. Land, she, those are Lanfear Trollocs? She refuses to uh, admit that. And she she says, she says something, something kind of weird. Like, I don't think I'll claim credit for that because I, I prefer if they don't know where I stand. Something like that. But yeah, I, I guess she steps in to save him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did she just have some Trollocs in her pocket? Or did she bring those with her before she met Rand? Or, or maybe she has some ability to, you know... Manipulate, manipulate them. them oh, too. Yeah. yeah. But I really liked it when Rand sees two Mirador fighting each other, and it's just like this 
blue lightning, like flickering snake thing because they're so fast. Yeah. That's awesome. I agree. I have to say, though, my favorite thing about the mirror draw, they're great at talking shit. <laughs> you will die this time. The mirror draw rasped at him in a voice like the crumbling of dead leaves. I will give your flesh to the Trollocs and take your women for my own. That's <laughs> I love it. That's yeah, a good that, game. That's a, yeah. That's a, that's a good trash talk. <laughs> and then this this is when he has the wizard duel with Lanfear, I think. Yeah, at this point, they, they start using their force powers to press each other against the wall. It doesn't go very well for Rand. No, yeah. Lanfear can can untangle his weaves, even though she can't see them, because yeah. she's a master wizard from the Age of Legends. Yeah, he, he, he thinks this is impossible, but, I mean, it's obvious that, you know, she's she knows a lot more than he does. Yeah. She was the one who led the team that opened the hole in the Dark One's prison. Which I think was a, done by multiple Aes Sedai, you know. By, well, Aes Sedai of both genders, so I think she knows a lot. Maybe yeah. more than most did. I think I think they've even suggested that she, even though the Ishmael is technically like the top of the Forsaken, she might be his equal or even, even stronger than him, yeah. you know, depending on who you ask. But they have a little conversation, and uh, Lanfear points out that you just left Kalindor, the most powerful... Saw Angrawal sitting in in your room, which is a great point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there's the, like, the, the 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 stone is being invaded. You really shouldn't leave yeah. that lying around. This yeah. is the time. Like, yeah. this is the time to use it. Yeah. Right? She, she calls him a dumbass. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and he's like, right. yeah, I should go get that. <laughs> so he runs runs back, ignores everything <laughs> yeah, else. He runs back. He's to like the just battle. running back to the battle, <laughs> and he gets it, and he does one of his like lose there and spells and kills. All the Trollocs and Mirrodol and the entire stone with lightning. Yeah. Yeah. That which was is, pretty... And pretty it apparently scares the crap out of everybody. Which, yeah. Well, it's like yeah. living lightning crawling along the walls and ceilings, striking, you yeah. know, all of the evil things. The first Mirrodol he sees, he just sort of looks at it and it turns into oily smoke. Yeah. <laughs> just like, it's, I guess, vaporizes it. Yeah. So we, do, we do get a very quick, sweet snapshot. He saw Perrin fail... Fail. He saw Perrin and Fail. He with axe in hand. She guarding his back with her knives. Yeah, I love that. We just and he's running through. He just sees that. Yeah, they work together. Yeah. Nice. He also sees Len and Maureen kind of doing a back to back fighting thing too. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maureen's zorching him with her fire, and Len's you know getting the ones that she doesn't zorch. Yeah. yeah. Then there's a sad scene with a dead girl. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. Uh, Maureen and Len. Again, kind of Find horrifying. Him. Like he's yeah. he's doing all of the things that he thinks might bring this girl back to life. He's like, yeah, uh, stand up. No, make your heart beat. And no, and it's just like this has got to be like a gruesome, just terrible thing to see. Mm-hmm. But I guess that means we yeah. know that there's no resurrection. Even when yeah. he's like super powerful, he can't bring this girl back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, but I he doesn't go totally crazy. He yeah. he's able to to rein it in. Though yeah. there is a moment where you can tell they're a little bit scared of him. They're like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, cool, Lan. Bro. <laughs> it's funny, like, Lan tries to get in between Maureen and, and Rand, and, and Maureen won't let him. You know, she's like, no, 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 this is my thing. Yep. Yeah. This is magic times. But Rand says that, uh, he tells him he's decided what to do. He'll he'll do it tomorrow. No more waiting. Yeah. So this, yeah, like, like you said earlier, this is Rand being a real leader. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing he needs to do if he's going to lead armies. He needs to be at the front. He needs to have people see him and and understand that he's on their side. He's against the Trollocs, and he's a really good guy to have on your side. And yeah. he's not afraid to use his power. That's right. Yeah, he's not like he's not thinking anymore. I, I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. This is the it. kind of behavior that that inspires like loyalty to death, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. These are soldiers who are fighting side by side with him, and that's that's where somebody really. Right, yeah. And this will this would get the soldiers on his side, which is an important thing in statecraft. Yep. And I'm really glad he doesn't let himself get bogged down in guilt. I was afraid that that was the way Robert Jordan was going to go, and we had that really sad scene with the little girl, but mm-hmm. Rand thinks to himself, yeah, I stayed an extra three days. Maybe these people would have survived if I hadn't stayed these extra three days, but I learned a lot of really useful stuff. So yeah. he has, takes a very mature approach to it, I feel like. Right, he's grown up. He probably wouldn't have had a mature thought like that in the first book. Yeah. We also learned that Lanfear loves Luz there in Telamon. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is all about. Yeah. She's all about that big D dragon. <laughs> the big D dragon. Yeah. The dragon D, which is dragon destiny. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I, I found this really funny. He Rand has this moment of like, oh man, how far have I come? When he points out that um, not only does the daughter of the night, who's uh, 
uh, uh, something women used to say to frighten their children isn't not only does the woman of the light want him, uh, the daughter of Vandor wants to make out with him too. He's like, oh, how far have I come? He's like, look at me. I've got like the, the this evil like lady god who wants to bone me and also the daughter of Andor. Man. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm, right. And I've also got a crush on men. <laughs> oh, men. <laughs> I wonder what she's up to. Yeah. So, chapter 11. What lies hidden? The icon of the stone ring, that, that Terangriol that they used to visit the world of dreams. Yeah. yeah. I was actually wondering why we hadn't heard much about Egwene dreaming lately. Like, this is, at the end of the last book, she was, like, doing some pretty badass dream warrior shit, you know? And mm-hmm. then just, like, nothing. Yeah. I guess they've been busy interrogating the Black Ajas. I guess. But Egwene is now going to use the Terang girl. No, I guess she's not going to use the Terang girl. No, she's yeah, she's she's specifically trying to learn to do it without the Terang yeah, girl, so, which is kind of a big deal, I guess. Egwene is going to visit the world of dreams without using the Terang girl to go get some recon on Tanchiko, because the the two things the Black Aja told him were go to Tanchiko or go use Mazram Tame. That that the Black Aja were going to do right. So they're Oh, so just real quick, there's a fun little technological note uh, yeah. about clocks. Like, clocks okay. are a thing, right? But they're rare enough that, like, when they're keeping time, they have, kind of have to fudge it with a candle. So it's, like, oh, yeah. it's like, how long is an hour? I don't know. Like, maybe about here? Right. Is yeah. that an hour? I yeah. don't know. I'd like to Elaine is like, oh, my mother has a dozen clocks. We're so rich. Yeah, but, <laughs> but never one in a bedchamber. <laughs> Madness. Yeah. I thought that was a little funny. And uh, Egwene is kind of being jealous about the dream stuff. She won't let anybody come yeah, with her. Yeah, that's weird to me. She says she wants to protect them, but at the same time, she does seem very possessive yeah. of the dream world. That's not. She doesn't give very good reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And at this point, apparently, they have two additional devices that will allow you to enter the dream world right. without actually being a dreamer or without even, apparently, without even being able to channel, you can use the, the ring. So... They have enough things that all four of them could go to the dream world together. Because these are artifacts that they stole back from some of the uh, the Black Aja, right? The two that they captured, uh, yeah. Am- Am- Amiko and Joyal. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the, apparently, the two that they, they something they did reveal is that all of those ones that they didn't know what they did. They were all dream passports. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Well. From what I know from the movie Inception, you have to have somebody standing there to wake you up. <laughs> That's a good point. To yeah. drop your chair. You can't something. just yeah. have like a candle underneath like a little rope with like a little like pitcher to dump water on your head. <laughs> I guess they didn't think of that. Yeah. Should ask me. So this, this is pretty neat. She said the way she gets to Tanchiko is she read a bunch of books about Tanchiko and found something that had a good enough drawing that she could visualize Mm -hmm. so she could go to that thing in the dream. Yeah, Yeah. because the rule is you have to be able to picture it in your head. So it's it's always been kind of a challenge to figure out how you would get to a place you've never been to, but this is a great solution. So she goes to their version of the Natural History Museum. It's super cool, yeah. Yeah. This place is awesome. I don't want her to explore Tanchiko. I want her to go check out this museum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's a fun... uh, fun, Well, I I actually found it a little bit bit annoying. Uh, Egwene is asking Elaine... So what's the Panarch anyway? And Elaine's like, oh, well, the Panarch is this. She's like, I don't actually want to know. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck you too. <laughs> this is actually useful information. You might actually want to learn right. what the Panarch is. <laughs> yeah, right? If you go into Tenchiko. She's she's in the Panarch's museum. Is that what it's called? The Panarch something? And Panarch's palace. Yeah, the Panarch's palace, which is sort of like a museum. It's got this giant... Uh, skeleton of some sort of fossilized thing. I was trying to figure out what it was. It's well over twice her height. It's an elephant. It's four thick-boned legs. You think it was an elephant? Yeah. The rounded skull set low on the shoulder like a bull? I think elephant, yeah. Because she mentions that at first she thinks it has four eye sockets. But it's got two eyes and two tusks. Right. Yeah. Okay, so it was an elephant. Okay. I think so. Or a mammoth. It's, it's unclear because... The, the, one of the other things is... A certain... saber-toothed tiger. Right, she exactly. sees one of those. Yeah. yeah. So it could have been a mammoth. And a giraffe, I think. Yeah. Oh, it's totally a giraffe. Yeah, spindly legs and a long neck that reaches almost the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And she sees a bunch of... They have some magical artifacts. Yeah, there's a there's an Angreal, and she's like, oh, how did the how did Tarvalon let this one slip there, you know? Mm-hmm. And they've got the Shan Chen uh, silver bracelet thingies. Was that one of those... They're, it's a different thing. It's a, a necklace and bracelets, but they're not connected. 
and there's an air of sorrow around them. So I don't know if they're Shanshan things or not. And here was another weird one, too. And I actually drew a picture trying to figure out if I knew what it was. A silvery thing in another cabinet, like a three-pointed star inside a circle, was made of no substance she knew. It was softer than metal, scratched and gouged, yet even older than any of the ancient bones. From ten paces, she could sense pride and vanity. It's a Mercedes logo. That's what was I was wondering. Really? Okay, that, no, no, that that, that makes that, that describes I, that perfectly. My right. my thought was that this had to be like a an old world artifact. It's like a plastic Mercedes logo. Is that seriously what it is? I, I think, think so. I think that I think you're right. But it I, says it was, it was like a even older than no. any of the ancient bones, though. Mercedes hasn't been around since before saber toothed tigers. No, but this is like but a, the, the, time is a circle, right? Ah. Uh, so the ancient bones might have come from a less recent age. Okay. Softer than ornament. softer than metal. <laughs> yeah, it's plastic. So yeah. I think it's plastic, and she doesn't know what plastic is. They don't have plastic. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> I so cannot silly. believe he does that. That is. Oh my it god! Maybe right. It could be something we have no idea what it is. No, I think, no, I think, I think you're probably it right. Is. It also yeah. could be a jab at Mercedes owners because it's all about like vanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I mean, pride like, and vanity. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that creeps me out to think though of something like that just being kept in a case. Way off in the future, nobody having any idea what it oh, was. Yeah, in a thousand yeah. years, if there are even sentient life forms, who knows what's going to be in their museums? You know. Yeah, right. Uh, I, but also that that Sawingrail, that one of them. Yeah, there's the the woman with like long hair, Sawingrail. That's mm-hmm. that's the, the that's just a regular Angrail. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah. But there's a statue of a woman holding a uh, crystal sphere up. A broken one, I think. I think half of the it's like the statue is broken. Yeah, and she touches it, and it like gives her all kinds of brain pain. Mm-hmm. But I think that is connected to those statues. I think you're right that when she described it, that's exactly what it sounded like. But I was like, is this like a remote control for it? I mean, is this like would this have been uh, like a carry it around access the the Sangreal from from Maybe. another place? I mean, it doesn't work now, but. I wonder yeah. if that's what it could have been. I, this that's, is cool. I really want to poke around in a museum full of magical wonders. Right? I know. They have like a collection of, of Quindalar figures that are just, I mean, are they just are they just art? Or maybe they have a purpose? Who knows? Right, yeah, who knows? Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. She sets out and explores Tanchico. And this whole scene, they she has periodic flickers of other people popping in, and I thought these were really funny. They yeah, were like the one guy who's like, "I'm the Lord Captain of the Guard now." Yeah, hey. <laughs> and the guy that just <laughs> falls screaming. <laughs> <out of his. laughs> she's like, "Oh man, that was a close one." Because if he hit that ground, he'd be dead. He would not have woken up. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and we also get some more Egwene prophecies in here. Because you know, occasionally she yeah. prophesizes. And she a sort of bit. skips past them because she's like bored of them now. Yeah, but there's there's some interesting stuff in here that we have. Um, let's see, Matt wrestling with a Shanshan woman who's tying an invisible leash to him. We have uh, Aiel fighting each other, killing each other, and throwing away their weapons and running away as if they had gone mad. We have Perrin fighting a man whose face keeps changing. That's interesting. Mm. Um, we have Galad wrapping himself in a what appears to be like a funeral shroud. Uh, Gawain with his Gawain, sorry, with his eyes full of pain and hatred, his, her mother weeping. There's like a lot of like interesting stuff here that we may or may not actually know what they're re- re- referencing at this point. Probably not. Mm-hmm. This is all probably future stuff. I think so. But yeah, these are these are always. I always like reading these little yeah. prophecies because I always like to see puzzle out what they're. Yeah, she's mean. just thinking about stuff she's been dreaming lately, <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, oh, you know, I don't really care. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But then... Yeah, she lets her she, mind wander. And, oops, accidentally teleports to the Aiel Waste. <laughs> yeah, right. When she thinks about uh, Aiel Wise Women, yep. and accidentally visits an Aiel woman who's like in the dream world hunting a boar type thing. I think, it's, I think got, it's a hyena. Yeah, I think it was too, because they oh. have lions. She saw a lion. Oh, okay, she yeah. Was, she said it's shaped like a boar, but it has like a like four legs and a... Coarse like a, hair. Yeah, and a dog-like face. Yeah, I guess a hyena. That's my guess. I don't know. Yeah. But she kept, she's like, oops, and then heads back to Tanchico, but then, like, slips back to the waist again a few times because she keeps thinking about Aiel wise women. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, really interesting observations about what kinds of things make it into the dream world and what doesn't, right? Yeah. They have yeah. dogs and rats and birds, but not horses. Right, yeah. Why would that be? Because they're domesticated, I'm guessing. Dogs are domesticated. Maybe the not ones always. that are there are feral. Yeah. yeah maybe. maybe there's wild horses in the dream world. 
Yeah, maybe. That's. I, I didn't know if it was maybe... He's, he's romanticizing the idea of horses being, like, smarter and more human-like or something. I was wondering if that was maybe the... Yeah, maybe. The you're right. Maybe horses dream. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's things that dream. Dogs don't dream. I know dogs dream. <laughs> yeah, My dog dreams a lot. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> and she does notice that there's something wrong with Tanchico, which manifests itself in the, the form of tiny cracks all over everything. Yeah, she she keeps saying something like, it looks like the people here aren't taking good care of the, the city or something right. like that. Um, but the uh, after she's flickered back and forth a few times, the wise woman stalks her back to Tanchico and busts her when she's flying around. <laughs> God, man, this... I would... If if I were Egwene, I would be spending all my free time in this place. It sounds like so much fun. I know, <laughs> You're, it's like, super flying cool. around, you can, like, check out, like... A museum in another in another country while like you sleep, there, which while is you... usually wasted time. Yeah, God, I would I would love I would, I don't I think she should have been doing this every single night. And it totally was a hyena because they said it had four toes, and I just Google food and hyenas have four toes. Oh, there we go. Yeah, right. it took me a little bit because I was like, is this like another fantastical creature, like, like the, a gnome yeah, or something? I didn't but it. yeah, I think it's a hyena. Anyway, the the wise woman tracks her down. Yeah, and says her name is Amis, and they immediately make each other naked. They do. That's yeah. like the first thing that happens. Yeah. yeah. I, I also made a note that w- when she first teleports into the dream world, she like takes a minute to like arrange her outfit, then accidentally gets naked, and she tries to cover herself up. But oh, you you can see everything. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it's too late. You've already seen everything. It's like, yes. Okay. All right. Indeed. Yeah. I, I I guess I didn't even think about it, but she gets naked several times in this chapter. Yes. Yeah. Oh well. I liked how. She kind of subconsciously made this silk version of Aiel garb. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah that's kind of yeah. a neat, neat thing. And then she like felt like she needed to change it, but I was like, I think that's actually kind of a cool. You know, if you can pick, wear anything, no one's going to yeah, see right. you. Right? It's going to be really comfortable. Yeah, and look nice. Yeah. It's going to be pretty. Yeah, why not? So after they're done making each other naked, uh, <laughs> I miss his convinced that uh, that Egwene is a dreamer and needs to be taught, and Egwene wants her help to you know do this dream stuff. Like she's looking for the Black Aja. I don't know if I've said that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, she's not just there for no reason. She's there to look for signs that the Black Aja are Yeah, there. and Amis tells her to come visit her at a specific place in the Waste. But uh, Amis uh, uh, also reinforces, uh, vindicates her her observations that something is wrong in Tenchiko. Yes. Something serious. Yeah, she can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Even and if she doesn't know where it is, what it is, where it is. Right. Yeah. She but says it's something pretty severe. Then uh, the alarm goes off and they wake Egwene up. <gasps> oh. oh, so chapter twelve, Tanchico or the Tower, the icon of the Flame of Tarvalon. <laughs> yeah, so she wakes up, and uh, and Avienda knows Amis. Mm-hmm. She's her her sister mother. It's her sister her mother. Sister mother. Yeah, which means that her, she's the daughter of their sister wives or something. I still don't understand that, so, even after it has been explained. Yeah. Aiel family ties are very complex, but apparently her mother is the co-wife of... So, Amis and okay. um, Avienda's mother both are married to Our Ruark. Our sister wives of Ruark. Right. So, I think this, they, because they're spear sisters, that means they are together. But they... one If one of them wants to... If Ruark wants to marry one of them, he is required to marry both of but them. But they're, they're not spear sisters. They're sister wives. Spear sisters are maidens of the spear, right? Mm-hmm. They were, I think uh, she says that they both were maidens of the spear. So they were spear sisters then, now they're sister wives. Yeah. That's the idea. Aiel, uh, I think part of it is that their their names are so confusing, I guess. <laughs> For lack of a, they're, they use very simple terms, but they're different enough from ours that it's, it's, I think it'd be a lot easier to understand if they were using the same terminology that we are. Mm-hmm. But essentially... Yeah, that's that's the deal. Yeah, and they're into polygamy. Yeah, which is that gives a, a whole set of relationships that that we don't deal with. Well, it, and it's really interesting the way they structure it too, because it's it's very like a female dominated relationship too. It's like you have to have you, the woman has asked the man for 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 marriage, and it's up to. I mean, there's I don't know. I, I just thought it was weird because we say that it's very female dominated, but I think it's always. When it's polygamous relationships, it's one guy and multiple women. That is a good point. Yeah, we haven't seen it. Well, is it? I think we. T- the, I think Avienda talked about how a lot of the the maidens of the spear would have multiple lovers, and it wasn't a big deal to them. Would yeah. they? 
Well, I think I think they mentioned in the previous book, but maybe not. Maybe yeah, I, I, I don't know. We haven't established yet whether the Aiel practice polyandry as well as polygyny. That's a good point. But it, but it is true that the Aiel woman is the one who decides they're getting married mm-hmm. or yes. asks. Yeah. And they 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 go into it together with their other potential sister wives. Like we're maybe they are spear sisters. Like we're we're near sisters. That's what it is. Near sisters? No, first sisters. First, no, first sisters means your actual sisters. Not necessarily. You can become first sisters if you decide you're close enough. Because they they were saying that Egwene oh, yeah. and Elaine were essentially first sisters, even though they right. Were. So if you're first sisters, but maybe not real first sisters or whatever, then you get together and you decide to marry the guy. Because she had suggested that if Egwene didn't decide that she didn't want Rand, then they could just both marry Rand and be. Right. First sisters. This, this is what I wrote down. Actually, these Aiel family structures would really solve these love triangles <laughs> they, that keep popping up. They simplify know? things a lot in a way, right? It's like you and we both love Rand. Right, let's just mo- both marry Rand, right? Mm-hmm. Problem solved. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So Egwene decides instead of going to Tanchico or the Tower, that uh, she's going to go to Amis in the Waste to learn how to be a dreamer, which is probably a good idea. I mean, it's that seems like plan. a really useful skill and right. and. The way she's doing it right right now, it does seem to be pretty dangerous. Like, there's lots of ways she can die in there without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. And there's just not... And it's such a dead art or skill. There's so few people that know it that right. she's kind of out of options. Yeah, we, we thought that there were a treasure trove to find yeah. somebody who knows how to do this. Yeah, yeah. Apparently multiple somebodies. And she's really interested in the Aiel. She really developed an instant connection with Avienda and I think some of the other women, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seems really interested in their culture. Yeah, for sure. So Moraine enters and uh, informs them of various things, such as uh, Amico and Joya are dead. Which is great, because, you know, we were having this whole dilemma. What do you do with Black Aja prisoners? But if they're if they're dead, then I guess you it's just, not a problem. You just wait for the dark friends to come kill them for you. <laughs> and not just kill them. Nail their tongues to the door and then sloppily cut their throats. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty gruesome. Yep. Yeah. But that's what they get for... for- being dark friends. Well, for getting captured. We don't actually... <laughs> yeah. that, that's the thing. We don't actually know what they did to die. Like, so they have far, some theories, but they're, we're not actually sure. Yeah, they don't know, but so far, dark friends have ended badly, almost exclusively, in these books, you know? Yeah, like we've said before, like, there doesn't seem to be a lot of benefits to being a dark friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, this may be the first time somebody's given a, a concrete indication is that Amico or Joya, I forget which one, said that she was going to rule part of the world. After the the last battle, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually what the Forsaken are supposed to be, right? They're supposed to be the the rulers. And I guess if you're Black Aja, you're hoping to work your way up to Forsaken. Right. Yeah, your baby Forsaken. Yeah, it's really like the Forsaken are just the thirteen worst Aes Sedai that went evil. This is basically just MLM, right? It's like you want to <laughs> you want to work your way to the top of the pyramid, but right, yeah, you got to buy more product. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're up at the top, if you're the you know the top of the tier, then you're really doing well. But otherwise, it's just Trash all the way down. And there has been a letter to Moraine that was addressed to her in Tyr before she or any of them came to Tyr. It, it's from a wise one or a group of wise ones in the Waste. <laughs> and, and I think we learned that they're all dreamers too, right? Right. And Avienda knows that. Oh, yeah, they're all dreamers. Yeah, which is interesting because we thought this was a dead art, but apparently there's a whole group of Aiel who could all do this thing. And I'm surprised it hasn't come up before now. Because Avienda's kind of become part of their group. That's true, yeah. But she yeah. she seems reticent to talk about the wise ones in general. Yeah. Like, it's it's the, it's this kind of taboo to, like, reveal their secrets. It may be connected to, with the contents of this letter, which is that Avienda has been ordered to return to the Waste. To yeah. see Amis. And she does not seem super happy she about it. She absolutely doesn't want to go. Yeah, she's not... She doesn't react favorably. She's like, nope, I'm yeah. got... I'm, I'm gonna bail in. But Moraine's like, no, Ruark is... On board, too. So she probably doesn't want to talk about wise ones. Yeah. I suspect that she's supposed to be a wise one in training. Yeah. I guess. It seems likely. Yeah. But they, uh, yeah. So she leaves. She's really unhappy. But Maureen also, is pretty unhappy about being ordered around, too. Yeah. Yeah. She's not certainly not thrilled about it. We also, uh, Nynaeve detective agency, for the first time, actually revealed to Maureen what their plans are as well. Yes. Right. Good. Get some advice from the best detective in the series. <laughs> right. <laughs> And apparently Rand is gearing up for a big reveal for tomorrow. We, we hear that again. Right, yeah. And now at 220 pages in, 
something is about to happen, I guess. You know, through, <laughs> through all this, it's funny because Moraine has been expressing this impatience. Like, somebody fucking decides something. I'm actually starting to be on her side because we are a quarter of the way through the book and now the adventure begins. Right? <laughs> but from here, the action begins, I suppose. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Tune in next time. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for this episode. Next time, we're going to cover chapters 13 through 18 of The Shadow Rising. I am Jeff Lake. That's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. I'm Alice Sullivan. That's at Alice M. Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. Um, You can just call me if you want. (laughs) Please share us with anybody you think will like us. Please give us good reviews on wherever you got this. Please check out our website, thedragonreread.com. You can get our old episodes and see illustrated pictures of us <laughs> it's what we look like in real life <laughs> totally <laughs> please give us your dollars on patreon uh, patreon.com slash the dragon reread please like us in real life we're super likable until next time the, the light, light illumine you, illumine you.